Super Dave. Well, let's try this again, Jim. <laughs> this is Jim English, and welcome to the Super Dave and Jim show where we talk NBA basketball, and we're talking the end <laughs> of the season. And Super Dave, it is great to join you. And I, you know, this is our second attempt. You know, what would technology be without problems? And first of all, Super Dave did not give himself that nickname. And I'm glad we got cut off last time because I didn't get a chance to mention that Super Dave, the Sultan of Stats, the Prince of Prediction, <laughs> has gotten his nickname from other folks that used to work with him because he's done it all. He's been a, uh, he's now a podcaster. He was a cable TV, had his own cable TV show. He's beaten basketball player. He's had 37 operations. 33, Jim, don't exaggerate. 33, and he's done it all. We love talking NBA basketball, and we know this is dedicated. It's a little, the, the audio is a little choppy, Jim. It cut off there for a second. Um, can you hear me now? Is it okay? Yeah, you're clear now. You're clear now. Good. I guess we got to hold real still. Uh, so <laughs> what would you like to say about Randy Larson? Because that's dedicated. This podcast is dedicated to him. Well, it's dedicated to Randy Larson and it's dedicated to basketball. And those, we think of those one and the same because Randy was not only one of the very, very best basketball players I've ever seen. Six fives, six five and a half, brilliant shooter, floor general, uh, a great uh, uh, distributor of the ball and, and, and a great attitude, great recruiter too of other talent to, that made up great teams. But uh, the podcast about the NBA sort of blends in with our friendship that we we uh, got to know each other through Randy Larson. And so having each each of these uh, broadcasts and uh, podcasts dedicated to Randy makes all the sense. And it, it's a good way to start off and talk about the NBA and how it's affected uh, a lot of lives. And, and we try to show a greater appreciation, Jim, of the of the game of pro basketball. No question, Super Dave. And if it hadn't been for Randy, we would never have had that podcast because we wouldn't have had the opportunity to spend time together. And Earl Randall Larson, we miss you. We love you. And this podcast is dedicated to you. And Super Dave, where would you like to start? With the last game? How about that? Well, before we get to that, I wanted to tag on. You, you mentioned a couple of things in my background. And and I did a little name dropping in our last podcast about meeting Wilt Chamberlain and what a what an awesome athlete he was. Uh, I had the privilege in my uh, my TV show and interviews to meet. And if you think about these three for the three people from the three sports, I've, I've met many more. But Wilt Chamberlain from basketball had two interviews with Jim Brown, just recently Whoa. passed away from football, and Ted Williams. Uh, I got to meet Ted Williams, when my, my boyhood idol. So I have had the privilege of, uh, of, of interviewing people like Walter Payton, Jerry West. That legendary, I don't know if you remember, you might be too young, Jim. Do you remember Jim Murray, the columnist for the LA Times? Absolutely. 
Absolutely, I, I remember I interviewed Jim Murray. So I, I throw that out there, you know, only to say in context that this podcast, with with how many subjects that you cover in various podcasts, and with my background, uh, it's it's a worthy show to t- to tap into what Jim and I. I have a, a mutual passion about basketball. And of course, uh, with the recent championship of the Denver Nuggets uh, over the Miami Heat, that last game five was a, a tremendous example of a team that, that overaccomplished in the Miami Heat. Uh, they really, man for man, player for player, team record, everything you want to evaluate uh, was uh, the team in Denver was superior. But boy, I'll tell you, the Heat hung with them all the way, Jim. They did. And you got to love the fact that they, you know, they were gritty. But before we do that, you piqued my interest in something. So you interviewed Will Chamberlain, who may be the most dominant athlete in the history of the NBA and maybe one of the most dominant athletes on the face of the earth. Now, one, one person, one athlete that could probably hang with him is Jim Brown because Jim played, I believe he played nine years and he led the NFL rushing nine times and he was 6'3, 230, and that's when people were the tackles in the NFL were 6'3, 230. And then you had the splendid splinter Ted Williams, who may have been the best hitter of all time. He got interrupted because went and correct me if I'm wrong, Super Dave, he went to World War II during his prime, so he couldn't play baseball. Isn't that correct? That is correct. And he also, later, a couple of years later, he went into the Korean War. And in the Korean War, he crash-landed his jet airplane. So he was in both wars, the World War II and the Korean War. And and getting back to Jim Brown, I'm so proud of this, and I I hate to indulge myself by telling you this, but I think you might be interested. I asked Jim Brown a question that he, before he answered, he said, Dave, that's one of the best questions I've ever been asked. And I'll tell you what it was. I watched him uh, in the late 50s and early 60s. And the announcers used to always marvel at when he got tackled, uh, he would be really slow in getting up. And the color commentator and the, and the announcers would say, Oh, there's Jim Brown trying to psych out the opponent, thinking that he's hurt, but he'll come back strong on the next play. I said, Jim, they kept saying that over and over again. Is that what was happening? Did you did you have a reason uh, other than that for getting up so slow? And that's what he said. I was one of the best questions he ever asked. And here's what he told me. He said, Dave, we played on some bad fields back in the 50s and the, the mud and everything on the on the grass. Uh, was all cut up and muddy and wet. And he says, a lot of times I knew I was going to handle the ball in the next play. So when I got tackled, I would get up without touching my hand to the ground. That's why I got up so slowly because I didn't want to get my hands wet or or muddy. And that's nothing to do. (laughs) He was trying to psych out his opponents. That's the answer. And I don't think there's a, only the people that were listening that day and myself and anybody I've told knows the answer to that question. Very interesting because he was, I thought he was the best running back of all time. I, he I, was, I, 
I thought he was the best football player I've ever seen. And I, it, 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 it's really not very close. To, he, he was a marvel of a human. And that's why Wilt Chamberlain, uh, the athlete that he was, being able to meet him, Jim Brown in football, and then one of the most absolute phenomenal six-foot-three-inch machine of a hitter, Ted Williams. I've been privileged, Jim. Tell the story, Super Dave, about Ted Williams, I believe it was in 1941, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, hit 400, and he was the last player to do it. And tell the story of how it was done and the double hitter he played that night. Okay, so there's a double header. The last games, the last two games of the season, I played on a Sunday a double header. After Saturday's game, he was hitting three nine nine point seven or four hundred. It would be four hundred, and the, the the manager said, "Ted, you can sit out." And he said, "Sit out? What are you talking about? I'm not going to sit out ever." And he stepped up to the plate in the doubleheader. He went six for eight in the doubleheader, Jim, and ended. That's how he ended up at four oh six. I mean, that is truly amazing because you know that is the last time it's happened, and so that was forty one. That's you know eighty two years ago that it happened and he stepped up. Neither one of us were alive when he did that. And, you know, the fact that he went and served his country twice during the peak years, I mean, can you see, you know, any of these guys, you know, can you see Clayton Kershaw going to, to Afghanistan or joining the army? I mean, it just didn't happen back then. I mean, it doesn't happen now. And, you know, he preserved himself a 400. He could have hit 400, but instead he stepped up and did his job, Super Dave. He was on a fighter mission uh, uh, in Korea, and he got shot in the wing, and this plane was on fire, and he's going back to the base, and a couple of uh, planes are following him, and he – they, they were uh, trying to motion that he better bail out. Are you with me, Jim? Yeah. Okay. So he he said, I was thinking of bailing out, but he says he at six foot three and those small jet fighters, he, he realized that if he had hit the ejector button, he might tear off his knees, kneecaps, that he wouldn't be able to get. So he said, and I'm, he wasn't a religious person, he says, Man, God, if you're there, he says, I, I really need you now. And he landed that plane on fire, uh, belly landed it, and got out just before it burst into flames. And that's how Ted Williams got back into baseball and ended up with 536 lifetime home runs. I mean, that is a real man, Super Dave. Exactly. I mean, that <laughs> that's exactly what that's this that's the point of the story he, he's a really american hero and when he was inducted into the hall of fame uh in, in 1965 after he retired one of the focuses of his speech at the hall of fame was that he felt the black players from the black uh, major leagues that played should be members of the hall of fame and guess what Decades later, they became that. But Ted Williams was the first one, and pardon the pun, to go to bat for the blacks uh, that, that were cut out of baseball until Jackie Robinson. So, Robinson. So 
he is a man's man and and there's everything about him that that there's a lot of things written about him uh, a, a lot of them are true but a lot of them are uh are not an example of what a man he was jim yes and not only that he spoke his mind point that there were you can tell this story better than we that i can but i'll set it up and give a little context he was not elected MVP two years in a row, even though one of those two years he won the Triple Crown, right? Yes, he won the Triple Crown, and he lost by two points to Joe DiMaggio. And one of the writers did not put Ted Williams in the top ten, the top ten. And you got points all up and down the scale. If he had even put him at number uh, the, the eighth, eighth or ninth spot, he would have been uh, elected most valuable player. And, you know, the, the, the sports writers uh, were merciless with Ted Williams. In fact, one of the reasons uh, in, in World War II, he really shouldn't have gone to Korea after being in World War II, but the press was, was so uh, demeaning because he, he was the sole support of his mother he could have gotten out of it, but he realized that he was going to get barbecued in the press. So he went ahead when they called him back to fly because he was out. He was an ace pilot. So uh, he, he fought again in uh, the Korean War. So uh, there was a lot of things written about him. The writers didn't like him. And, you know, the Boston uh, management didn't do a lot to protect him in those days. You know, they didn't have the, the kind of screening they do now for for press conferences and stuff. Uh, and it's unfortunate because he was a young man that was, uh, uh, you know, that was not skilled in those kind of things. And so he just kind of let it fly. Uh, when you got on him, it, you know, he would fire back. I mean, think about this, listeners, please. Just let this digest and, and you know, and think about this. So he won the Triple Crown and some media, talk about media bias, right? Yeah, you know it's happening now. But in baseball, where numbers speak for themselves, there's probably not a sport that is so quantitative. That there's no sport that's more quantitative than basketball, they, uh, than baseball. They measure everything. Yet he won the Triple Crown, RBIs, home runs, uh, batting average, and also, like, there's a bunch of other stuff. On-base percentage, slugging percentage. He was number one in everything. And a media guy didn't vote him in the top ten in the MVP. I mean, that's that's absurd. That's absurd, Super Dave. It is. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not big on awards myself because of that. There's a subjective nature to that and the beauty to me about baseball always was since i was a little kid is the fact that the statistics speak speak louder than the votes do so they can they can nominate or award put these awards to whoever they want but i i know the the true fact and you're a stat guy like i am jim and uh, i judge people by the numbers and 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 uh, what they mean to their teams in team sports and I don't care what the writers or the fans vote for. Uh, I, I know who the best players are in the best sports. I mean, there's no, I mean, we have that 
so evident even this year, Super Dave, is the fact that the Joker was not elected MVP. It was Embiid. And I don't think anybody in their right mind, you know, Embiid had a good year, a great year. You know, Giannis had a great year. Embiid, I'm sorry, um, the Joker, I mean, he had the best year. He's the best player by a mile, you know, and he wasn't elected. That's a perfect example of what you're saying. Exactly. And there was a a media bias. And the, the interesting thing now about the awards, you start hearing about who the leading quote candidates are by middle of the season, and they and they talk it all the way down to the wire. And it that's just not the way those awards were originally intended. So I just I pay very little attention. But you're right. There's there's no question in real basketball uh, aficionados mind that the most valuable player this season and the two previous seasons was Nikola Jokovic. And for Jokovic, what, I mean, what can be said about his performance that hasn't been already said? I mean, it's historical. He averaged a virtually a triple-double. I think he averaged like 9.7 assists, but, you know, 13 rebounds and 30 points in a, in a playoff series. I mean, this, we witnessed history this year in the NBA with the Joker and his supporting cast, Super Dave. Well, you'll love this stat, Jim, to support what you just said. You add the the assists per game, the points per game, and the rebounds per game uh, in the playoffs. And Nikola Jokovic averaged more total rebounds, points, and assists than anybody in the history, in the history of the NBA playoffs. I mean, that is a stunning stat. It's stunning. I mean, you think of all the great players in the NBA. And, you know, it's one thing, you know, especially at this time, this point in time in history, there are so many great The defenses are so sophisticated are so good and yet this guy had the most historic performance in nba playoff history super dave uh, just stunning just stunning it was, it was stunning and the field goal percentage i think for the rest of his players are like 35 percent and i think he was 12 for 16 in the uh in the last game and and, and his shooting percentage all those other stats are cumulative, but the, his his numbers are he, he's right around sixty percent of his shots, Jim. It's amazing to watch the a man that size that can use either hand that can take the ball end to end, dribbling the ball, and and, and the passes that he that he distributes. Are, it, it's an it's a phenomenon that we're seeing right now for the last three years, and there's you know. With, with Steph Curry and some of the things he did to uh, accentuate the three-point line, it sort of changed the, the uh, complexion of basketball. Well, the Joker can't really do that because nobody can really duplicate what he does. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to think of it changing fundamentally the kind of players that they get because there's nobody that compares 
to Nikola Jokovic. Yeah, I mean, is this the rebirth of the center? Are we are we going to witness the rebirth of a center in the NBA now, Super Dave? I mean, we're going to be throwing back to once again. You and I talked about this last time, and by the way, I got some comments from some folks that listen to our podcast that said that they agree that the only person you can compare him to is Wilt in terms of size and passing and rebounding. You know, Wilt was a, probably a better defensive player, but nobody, uh, you know, I mean, LeBron James and Magic Johnson and the Joker are the three people that I have seen that have been able to elevate the performance of their teammates so well and so consistently, Super Dave? No, that's right. And uh, I think it might have an effect uh, on the center position. But once again, uh, he doesn't play the low post. So there's not many other big men that can go out to the free throw lines at the top of the circle and orchestrate the offense and still be able to get back uh, for the rebounding position. So it, it, he, he's a, a unique phenomenon. And the way uh, the, the Denver plays that with uh, the, the players they're surrounding him with, they understand the, uh, the, his skills and they seem to be able to find the, the cutting lanes, the way to move uh, to accentuate what he does. So he really is a, a, an absolute rarity in the NBA. So uh, when they try to scout for somebody like that, it's going to be very difficult to get anything close to him. Yeah, and, you know, you've got to love Miami's effort. I mean, they did not quit. This wasn't like the Boston you know, in a couple of games against the Miami Heat or a couple of games that Memphis did against the L.A. Lakers. Why people quit, I just, you know, I just, I don't get it. But they did quit, but Miami did not. They tried. They grinded it out. I mean, they did everything they could. They lost to simply the best team on the planet, but now by far. I mean, by far, Super Dave. I mean, you know, and you know what's amazing here, and I want to get in this, into this a little bit with you, is to talk, to bring up the D word, dynasty. Because they have one player who's 30 years old, and that's KCP. All the rest of their players are 20, 22, Christian Braun, to 26, 27. And they're all under contract for multi-years. You know, I mean, what do you think about a dynasty, Super Dave? Well, that's a, that is a big D word, and it's very hard to, to sustain that. Uh, in any era, but now you not only have the uh, the contracts to consider, but the fact that that, that players that emerge uh, want to change teams and, and have a chance to be the 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 big uh, uh, one of the big two or three, and that sometimes uh, fundamentally changes. And then you always have the uh, the injury possibility. But yeah, all the components are there. The, the one player in the game five and, the, and in the series, I thought that didn't seem to have the, not only did he have a bad series, but I, I didn't see his mentality. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. He hit a key three, sh- three pointer in the game five 
to help win for Denver. But I'm telling you, Jim, if he missed that shot and Jimmy Butler hit the three that he put up late, uh, that game could have gone to Miami. And I, and I think Porter has to understand, and he did have a good rebounding game and defensive game, and he got some uh, points in, in deep. But he's got to realize when he's not hitting that that outside three point shot, don't don't be gaffing it up there when your team uh, is playing a uh, you know a, a one or two point game. Yeah, he's got room to improve. I mean, that's that's kind of you know his shooting is a little inconsistent. Boy, he sure torched the Lakers though. Leave it to you know to the guy to have his best shooting series against the Lakers. But, you know, he's, you know, he's 6'10", he can guard the wing, he's a streaky shooter, uh, you know, and I have, to, I have to tell you that, you know, he can improve, if he can be a little more consistent at the three-point shot, maybe go to the hoop a little more often, you know, especially with somebody like the Joker passing, you know, I mean, there's room for improvement on that team, Super Dave. Yes. Well, uh, the mental part of the game, Jim, is what's critical. And that's what keeps a good team together and creates that, that dynasty syndrome you're talking about. And, and I bring up that Porter shot because it's the mental part of that that, that was a mistake. And Caldwell Pope is another one you mentioned. And I thought he, in, in this series, he made some really dumb defensive plays. He fouled guys at the three-point line that I thought were just the, 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 some of the dumbest fouls I've seen. And you say he's the only 30-year-old 30, 30 on the roster. Well, uh, I think that you can find shooter. He's a really a fine shooter, but you can get some of those. But I don't think his mentality or Porter's mentality uh, are best to fit the chemistry that the Nuggets are building. And if they're going to make that team longstanding for the next three or four years and play out those contracts and get anywhere near the D word that you're talking about, I think that the, the management is going to have to review whatever the, the minor weak links would be. And right now, I, I think Porter and Caldwell Pope are, are a somewhat of a weak link because they're not buying into the Denver Nugget philosophy, even though Porter, and like I said, Porter will be valuable on the open market because everybody else sees the 6'10 and the fact that he can get streaky hot, yada, yada. But I, I think those, those are the only two components of that Nugget team that I'm not convinced that, uh, convinced with long-term. Yeah, and you got to love Aaron Brown who toiled in obscurity Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon, I'm Aaron Gordon, and Bruce Brown. Those are those are two of the cogs in the machinery, Jim. They're contracting. They're both young, and and Christian Braun too. I mean, he was he made um, he made Jimmy Buckets' life miserable on defense. He's he's a nice you know fifteen minute you know defensive stopper and I have to tell you is that I think that they need to shore up their bench and make a decision I think you're right they could do better than KCP and I think Porter can still develop he's young and don't forget he missed what so he came out after his 
freshman year of high school of college which he missed and then he missed the whole next year and i think he's only like 22 so but you're but also too i noticed that porter needs some maturing as well he kind of pouted when took him out when he when he wasn't hot and i noticed that you know when he's streaky he exudes confidence but Sometimes, you know, he needs to mature a little bit. KCP has got some miles on him, so I think that they could probably upgrade there. But, you know, they've got, you know, as long as they have the Joker, who's 26, I believe, just entering his prime. He's actually 28. 28. How old, Jamal Murray, right? He's pretty young too, right? Yeah, I think he's 26, 27. But they've, they've been together eight years, uh, uh, Murray and uh, the Joker. So I think uh, it, it, Murray's right around the same age, 27, 28. I, mean, I loved what Miami did. I loved their culture. I loved the fact that, you know, that they, they played with the undrafted quartet, you know, who didn't come through like they did against Boston. But I loved their culture. And one thing I wanted to talk to you about Miami, the internet is a saying that he'd like to go to Miami. I, I missed I missed what you said. Who who is going to Miami? Damon Lillard wants to go to Miami. Oh, whew. that would be powerful. That would really be powerful. I, I want to get to Jimmy Butler because He's a remarkable athlete, and he almost took that game five over uh, at the end. And I don't understand it. Explain to me, Jim, how periods that he goes into the lane and where I expect him to to go all the way and and do his you know his little pirouette and get a shot off at about 12, 10, 12 feet, he gives it up. But then come crunch time, he he makes the right plays. If he had hit that one shot, which was ill-advised uh, when they didn't need a three, but otherwise he was he was putting up some great shots from three. And uh, other than that, that kind of low period after the Milwaukee series, there's periods when Jimmy Butler just kind of took that, that team on his shoulder and did everything he could to push them over a, a much more balanced and powerful Denver Nugget team. Don't you think, Jim? Yeah, I mean, you know, exemplary valor. I mean, he tried so hard, and I love him. I absolutely love him. I mean, they washed him out of Philadelphia. They traded him out of Philadelphia because he was calling Ben Simmons out, say you didn't want to work, right? And then he was all over Carl Anthony Towns when he went to Minnesota, and you know, he, so they, they got rid of him. He goes to Miami, where it's a perfect culture of accountability with Spolstra and Riley and everything going on. And he works his ass off. And I, I, I love the guy. There's no excuses. You know, when he gets up there in front of the podium, he's like, we have to get better. I have to do more. I absolutely love the guy. And, you know, compared to other players, 
that, you know, were drafted way higher because he was a second round pick, Super Dave. Do I have that right? I think so. Yeah. And yeah. you bring up a very good point. I, you know, and I think that's sometimes underestimated. When you see these guys get up on the podium and talk afterwards, there's, there's something about leadership, Jim, that, tra that, that uh, translates into body language. I remember, I, I'm going to jump sports here, but there's, do you remember the uh, coach of the Rams, Ray Malavese? Oh, yeah. Okay. When the Rams were losing and the camera would go to the sideline, I'm looking at Ray Malavese and I'm thinking, if I played for that guy, you know, I would I would take my helmet off and go into the locker room right now. He, he had a body language of a loser. And Jimmy Butler has the body language of a winner even when he loses and you're right there's no there's no excuses there's no there's no blaming pointing at anybody else he takes it on himself he's even tempered he displays that on the court he displays that in the huddles that is something that uh, scouts cannot you know dis define that or or quantify that when they're looking for talent but I'll tell you uh, I have the same admiration that you do for Jimmy Butler and it's just unfortunate. The two the two people that I just so admire on Miami are uh, uh, Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler. They really made that team overachieve, Jim. Yeah, and I mean, props to Bam Adebayo, too, because he was very yes. tough. I mean, there's nothing you can do. I mean, as we discussed, Joker is almost incapable of having a bad game, right? I mean, you just – it. He, you know, when you when you load up the stat sheets, like you said, he had more assists, rebounds, and points in a playoff series in, in NBA history. I mean, there's nothing you can do. I mean, you know, you do what you can, but you're not going to stop him. You know, you're probably not even going to get in his way. But he scored 20 points in every single series. Plus, he got double-figure rebounds, I'm sorry, in every single game. And in almost every game, he got double-figure rebounds. I mean, he was in there battling and trying. I have nothing but admiration and respect for what Miami's what Miami did this year, their culture, their effort, the way, you know, unknown players stepped up, the way they cop. I mean, if you think about it, you know, they had 35 points and two excellent shooters sitting on the bench in Oladipo and Tyler Hero. I mean, you put those mad bombers in, and you might have had a different series outcome, Super Dave. Yeah, and it was interesting that in Game 5, they said Tyler, uh, uh, Tyler Hero was uh, available, and Spolstra didn't, didn't give him a shot. And I think at some point, they, they might have wanted to at least you know, get him out there a few minutes and see what, what they could get out of him because that was a – he was their number three scorer during the season. So uh, – but I'm just it, – it's just nothing but admiration how much Spolster got out of that team uh, that, that came all the way from the play-in game all the way to the finals and ran into a buzzsaw in the Denver Nuggets. Uh, it, was a, it was beautiful to watch really top-notch basketball – and that's what you and I really appreciate and why we do these NBA podcasts, Jim. I, I, I love the playoffs. They were great. I mean, it would, yeah, it would have been nice if it was a little closer. 
you know, in terms of in terms of the finals. But, you know, Miami and eighth seed, you know, they beat the first seed. They beat the second seed. I mean, they played three top teams in the NBA, and they won two of them. And they were an eight seed. It just shows, you know, what you can do if you step up, you have the right players at the right time, in the right culture with the right plan, step up. It's just you know, Denver and the Joker and Jamal and company were just so good, Super Dave, that, you know, Miami, with all their grit, with all their determination, with all their coaching and their strategy, they lost to a better team, Super Dave. It's just plain and simple. Well, one of the reasons I want to highlight that uh, you say that uh, Jokovic can't have a bad game is because how – brilliant what a genius he is in terms of what to do with the ball because when you get the basketball in your hand you have to decide are are you going to go up for a shot is your defender tight enough on you or is there anybody open to hit elsewhere or do you want to just give it up and then move from there there's there's three or four decisions that have to be made he makes the right decision almost every time it's uncanny and when he throws the ball up up to shoot, unlike other players, he doesn't have to swish it because he's got this incredibly soft touch. And if he doesn't swish it, which he often does, it it, it just rests on the rim and falls in like a funnel into the hoop. So the shots, uh, the, the, the way he distributes the ball and where he gives the pass to his uh, to the, the people that are cutting is amazing, Jim. As a, as a basketball player, I you you like to get the ball somewhere above the shoulders where you can go up quickly with it. And, and he just has this uncanny ability to, to, to deliver the ball from different angles and right on the target, his lob. He had one lob pass that, that, that missed and, and went out of bounds in, in, in the fourth quarter that uh, he, he was, he was upset at. He, I don't think he gave enough air on it, but for the most part, you're right. He's almost error free. And, and those Lack of mistakes translate into wins. Wins oftentimes, Jim. Yeah, and I have to tell you that you know Miami, with their culture, is going to be, I think, a pretty big um, free agent destination this year. I mean, I have to tell you that I like to play for Miami because right now, you know, I look at the East, Super Dave. And I see semi-chaos in Boston. I mean, what are they going to do with the Tatum-Brown thing? Are they going to break that up? Missoula, I don't think, is the man for the job. You know, he's a young coach, and maybe he'll evolve into it. But this is the NBA, and you got two players, two, you know, a first-team All-NBA player and a second-team All-NBA player in their prime. You need a coach right now, and I – you know, I just don't see Boston also to Philadelphia. I mean, they had a very disappointing playoff run. They're going to um, they're gonna lose Harden. I don't think they're going to re-sign Harden. Harden's going to want to go somewhere else. He's an unrestricted free agent. And I think that, uh, you know, the Knicks are a couple of players away. You know, it's interesting that, 
super deep. We and I both thought toward, at probably the three-quarter mark of the season, maybe even going into the playoffs, that it's going to be Boston or Philly or Milwaukee. And now those three franchises seem like they're foundering a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? No, I agree. They, they are. And uh, uh, Philadelphia just got rid of Doc Rivers, you know. Yes. And so that's going to fundamentally change uh, that, that team. And Milwaukee, I think they had a, a, a couple of key injuries near the end. Uh, they're probably only a player or two away from getting back uh, to their status as a you know, top three team in the East. Uh, but Boston, you're right, is uh, somewhat of a dumpster fire right now. It looks like it's uh, uh, it, it, there's just all the moving parts don't seem to fit together, and they have the one of the most inconsistent type of uh, streaks. Uh, there's there's times I saw them during the season where they looked horrible. There's times they look great, and you don't often see teams that have that big of a variance. Yeah, it's. Well, and you know, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, before we leave Milwaukee, you know, Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton are free agents. So let's see what they want to do because, you know, Brooke Lopez, I think, is very underrated, both offensively and defensively. So they could have a couple of huge holes in it. And, you know, Boston just seems chaotic. You know, what are we going to do with? Jalen Brown, what are we going to do? Do we deal him? I mean, next year, Jalen Brown has an option for, I believe it is $260 million for five years next year. So you're either going to have to suck it up and sign him the max contract, or you'll have to trade him. And once again, there's some interesting scenarios that are speculated, you know, about what they're going to do with him, Super Dave. So if I were a free agent, I would really think about going to Miami. You know, what they're talking about, they're talking about Lillard being traded for Hero, Oladipo, the first-round draft choice this year and the first-round draft choice next year. Because, you know, let's face it, going to have to push the reset button okay they're going to have to rebuild and they can't rebuild until they get rid of rid of till they trade uh damon lillard away they're you know they're going to be a marginal play-in team as opposed to a rebuilding well that's why we work so well together jim you cover some of the things that i miss and i forgot about the uh free agency of uh uh, Brooke Lopez and Middleton on Milwaukee. So that is uh, that is an extenuating factor. I didn't factor in by thinking how close they might be of getting back. So, yeah, they've got some rebuilding to do. And also, uh, the thing that you brought up a couple of times in this podcast is really well taken. What, what Miami did in their playoff run was really establish that culture that you uh, have uh, mentioned several times that really is attractive to free agents and the players and Lillard going to Miami is a great fit, a phenomenal fit. Uh, and Butler will, will get him 
all kinds of uh, chances there. And it's a it's a, a a guard that goes inside and one that shoots outside is a is a nice mix. And Abadayo uh, and in, in the middle, uh, they get another uh, wingman, uh, and I think they're uh, they're going to be set for a, a a much longer run uh, in the regular season and not have to you know put pour it on at the end. So you bring up some real excellent points, Jim. So I got Super Dave a name for you who I think would be great at Miami, Kyle Kuzma. So he's a free agent this year, and he's got a player option. And I see him, he averaged 20 points and nine rebounds and toiled obscurity. I believe he was in Charlotte or I think he was in Charlotte, but he's a free agent. And, you know, he plays good wing defense. He is a good three-point shooter. He, you know, he, I think he would fit in really well on um, and it's feasible with the salary cap. They'd have to trade equal money to get Lillard in there. But if you had Bam and Kuzma and Butler and and Lillard, I mean, you're talking about a team that could give Denver all they could handle. Oh no, that's a nice mix uh, uh, if you project that out. But this is a gross speculation this this early, but it's an interesting thing to to mull around. But wherever Damon Lillard uh, lands, he is he is going to completely change that team because. He is uh, among the top three shooters in all of basketball. He's still got a lot left in the tank. And really, he's going uh, – he, he's just going to die out there in Portland right now, Jim. Yeah, they – you know, Portland has got to make a decision. Well, I, I don't even think there's a decision to be made. You know, they got the – I believe Portland's got the second pick in the draft. So they can – you know, and there's, you know, obviously Victor the Frenchman – Victor the Frog, he's going first, but there's some good players. Uh, Brandon Miller from Alabama, he's a 6'9 wing who shoots almost 40% from three-point land. Scoot Henderson is just, you know, a blur. He's like John Martin, John Morant. He's a blur and extremely athletic, averaged uh, 17 points and eight assists in the D-League you know, as a, as what would be a freshman in college. And so I think that Portland needs to reset or they're just going to wallow in this, you know, in this fringe playoff, non-fringe play-in, you know, sort of area in the NBA. So I, I think they need to get rid of Lillard. And I'd love to see him go to Miami, Super Dave. Love to see it. Yeah, well, like you said, uh, very attractive team, and they're not going to have any trouble filling their roster out in Miami now. So I think that's going to make the East uh, uh, a little bit more competitive because I think uh, Boston uh, could uh, slip a little bit. No telling what Philadelphia will do. Uh, those two key free agents is going to uh, put a big question mark on Milwaukee. So uh, there's some fascinating things. I'm I'm really curious about your uh, Lakers and what they do in the offseason because uh, I was just so, so impressed 
how they came down the stretch. And, and even getting swept by Denver, when you look at the, the totality of the Denver Nuggets in their season and how good they were, there's no embarrassment how the Lakers played against them because they were, they were competitive games. Uh, three of them could have easily gone either, either way. So uh, uh, the Lakers have a lot to uh, build upon. And uh, I, I still give credit to LeBron James being a player that is able to make, not in a cliche fashion that you always hear, makes the players around him better. He literally uh, does what's needed. He's able to take on different roles right in the, and, and, and change them in the midst of a game because he still demonstrated uh, this season that when he's needed to score, he can still go to the hole with the best of them. He is a physical force. Uh, he keeps his body in great condition, and that gives a foundation. And when Anthony Davis is not hurt, that gives the, the Lakers a foundation to uh, you know, really be competitive next year. What are your thoughts? Um, you maybe you ought to get in the couch for this, Jim. Yeah, I should. I'm laying flat on the couch. Well, so you know, I've thought about that. So I don't think they're going to sign D. Russ. I think D. Russ is a free agent, and I think uh, D'Angelo Russell is gone. So that'll free up some some uh, some um, some cap space, and a guy that I kind of around him there's two free agents that i well kyle kuzma would be great as a laker he's already been there i don't know if he would come back or not but we would love to see kyle kuzma um would be interesting as a laker okay guy's a three-point shooter he's a veteran he could really help you know hachimura they're gonna sign him and they're going to sign Austin Reeves. So they need, you know, another free agent or somebody along those lines. And, you know, one guy who is a free agent, I don't know if the Lakers could get him, is Jeremy Grant from Portland. Okay. He's a pretty tough player. I believe he's Horace Grant's son who – Played with Michael Jordan, I believe. There were the Grants had two. Um, there were two players. There were twin brothers, Horace and Harvey, and I think he was Horace's son. And he's a free agent. So the Lakers, you know, I've I've got confidence now in Palinka to do the right moves that would help the team after sort of the rabbit he pulled out of his hat after the all-star break last year, Super Dave. I've never seen a general manager do what he did, Palinka, in the second half of the season to put the places, the pieces in place to, to push that team to the playoffs and to get to the finals in the Western Conference. Amazing, just amazing work. And I, I, I think Hachimura... It was a and him was the first guy he picked up. He's a great addition. Uh, you get Austin Reeves, uh, you know, signed up, and now you've got a core to work with. I love your idea of Van Cleef uh, of Toronto coming to the Lakers. They need shooting. They still need another shooter outside. He would be ideal. And uh, I, I'm not a fan of Kuzma that you are. 
uh, he's he's okay, but I he's street, he's a little streaky for me. Uh, so I think they just need uh, one or two more players and need the health of Anthony Davis uh, and the continuation of uh, the miraculous longevity that LeBron James is having. Yeah, I think that you know I I'm optimistic about the Lakers because he demonstrated it. There's also a couple of other interesting free agents that I wanted to get your take on. Okay. Um, where do you, th- oh, this is a trade that I saw. Oh, this is what I want to talk. So I know I, you really like this guy. So I saw a article in the, uh, on the internet where they talked about trading Jalen Brown for Darius Garland. What do you think of that? Oh, ho oh, oh. Darius Garland with with uh, Tatum. Oh my God, that is a I never thought of that because I just don't think Tatum and Brown they're too much alike and where they like to get their shots, how they like to get them. I I just don't see two players with the similarity of launch points and and their game. Uh, to work together, uh, but Darius would be a phenomenal fit for the uh, the Boston Celtics. I've never thought of it. Is he is he available? Do you think? Well, I think they're they're talking about because I don't know. How do you think Jalen Brown would fit on Cleveland? Well, he's a, he's just a phenomenal uh, scorer and player uh, with a great attitude. Uh, he's uh, he would fit in almost anywhere. I think he would be fine with Cleveland. I don't know how how they replace Garland at the at the point there, but um, there's somebody else on that Cleveland roster. I can't think who it is, but there is another there is another guy shooting that shooting guard. Yeah, it, you know he would take. I can't remember his name, um, but he would take over as point guard. He's a good. He's a marginal NBA, um, NBA all-star. Can't believe I can't think of his name. But he, with that young core, I think that I think Jalen Brown would bring that young Cleveland core some experience and some toughness, and there would be less redundancy in terms of roles and scoring and overlap than there is at Boston with Jalen Rose because of the fact that, I mean, Tatum and Brown are, you know, they're not identical, but they're damn close to it, Super Dave. Yeah, Tatum Tatum to me is just a better all-around version of Brown, but they're they're so similar. Uh, and, and they're effective. They're 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 actually effective together, but it's it it takes a lot of work and it doesn't always work, but uh, I think uh, it would be in Boston's best interest and, and anybody's best interest to get Brown on their team. Uh, so I think that's a trade that I never occurred to me. But if it does happen, I'm giving you full credit, Jim. <laughs> well, and I think that would that would act trade that would benefit both. And I think that if they did that, that it, you know, because let's face it, you know, Boston has got to break up that core. Brad Stevens is a very smart GM, but he's got a problem. He's got a definite problem right now with the two of them. 
and things are going to have to change. And I think you want to keep Tatum as opposed to Brown. I mean, I would take Tatum over Brown. Um, you know, they're both really good players. One was first team NBA, one was second team NBA. So if you could get another second team NBA like Garland in there, who doesn't do the exact same things that Tatum does, I think it would be a, a good trade for each. So we'll see what happens, Super Dave. I agree. And I think we've we've covered not only uh, the, the tail end of the season, the playoffs and how it played off, but we've got a, a really nice little preview going for next year, Jim, and something to look forward to in the offseason. So, Super Dave, you know, you are a veteran of the Jim, the Super Dave and Jim show. And as you know, you are my guest and you get last word on the podcast. You can talk about anything you would like. And by the way, we're going to schedule our Vietnam podcast coming up soon. So everybody who's listening, stay that uh, Dave and I, Super Dave and I are going to pivot to history after the season, well, the season's over. So in the next month or so, we're going to pivot to history because Super Dave knows a lot, a lot about history. So we're going to be talking history, but in summation, 2022, 2023, NBA, NBA season is gone. What would you like to say, Super Dave, in summation? As usual, Jim, you're way ahead of me because I was going to bring up the fact that people have got to go on the internet and look for the don't give a shit files because <laughs> it's not just the Super David Jim English NBA show, but there's a lot of content that Jim puts out with his podcast. And I'm looking forward to that history one. And we're going to talk about some of the, some of the things about history that kind of slipped by now, especially in the passage of time. Uh, but if you study that war, there is, there is some turning points and there's some interesting factors that Jim and I will get into. So uh, I recommend that you look for that show, but in next year, I really believe Jim that people should look for our podcast here not because of you and I, and we, it doesn't, we, we don't make any money on this, but we can get you interested and passionate about pro basketball because I think a lot of people are just kind of passive to it. They don't, they don't understand uh, when, they're, when you mix some intricacies and, uh, and, and some facets that they haven't considered. Uh, it, it can enjoy your viewing uh, of, of, the, of the NBA games because there's a lot of television coverage now that didn't happen when I got started. 1958, Jim, when I watched the NBA on TV, the games were on at Saturday noon what Pacific time, and that's it. One game a week, one team, a couple of teams you never heard of, usually the Boston Celtics would be one of them. That's the TV that we got uh, in 1958 for NBA basketball. Now you get a bunch of it. You get these podcasts, and we'll make them more enjoyable for you. And we're not going to stop dedicating our show to our good friend, Randy Larson. Jim, it's been a pleasure this year. Thank you, Super Dave. And I'll be looking forward to chatting a little history with you. And have, you know, this has been great. Thank you so much.